Let's take the Word of God this morning and turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. As we continue our study of the book of Acts, we have understood a number of things. I think it's important for us to have a record of what happened in that first century. I think the testimony of the book of Acts is the testimony of what Christ said He would do. He said... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's exactly what we find happening, beginning to happen uh, there in the book of Acts. And we've uh, noted a number of things. We come to Acts chapter 11, and let me refresh you from what we talked about a few weeks ago. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was led of the Lord to go to the house of Cornelius in Caesarea and to witness to a group of Gentiles and His message was very clear. It was Jesus Christ. And we saw that uh, those who were gathered in the house of Cornelius received the word. Not only had they received the indwelling Holy Spirit, but there was a, a smaller scale, almost a Pentecost moment that happened in the same way in Acts chapter 2. It came upon those Gentiles there in the house of Cornelius. And so then we, we see that even Peter said then, uh, these people have received the Holy Ghost, and, and so they need to be baptized. And so we find the gospel moving from being preached uh, by Jews who came to Christ to Jews, and now we see the gospel being preached to the Gentiles and the Gentiles believing. And so wonderful things have happened in Acts chapter 10. Now we come to Acts chapter 11, and we find some contention in the church over the gospel being preached and certain people receiving the gospel. So let's look at that. And again, as we read through the book of Acts, uh, it's not everything that should happen, it's everything that happened. And it's important to see, it's uh, also a transitional book that uh, God uh, validated the church through sign miracles to show that this is indeed His church. And so we come to Acts chapter 11, and by the way, this what is going to begin here in Acts chapter 11 is actually going to... Uh, be um, dealt with in different ways throughout the book of Acts, mainly in Acts 15, when they're going to talk about whether Gentiles who were saved had to be circumcised or not. Uh, And then Paul would deal with this later in many of his epistles, 1 Corinthians and Romans and Galatians. He's going to deal with this. So let's talk about this and see what is happening in the church in Acts 11 and see if we can get some truths. And we learn some things. And and by the way, when we come, let's not be too critical Because there are a lot of things that they did not know at the time. That we have the benefit of knowing now that we have uh, the entirety of the Scriptures uh, for us. And so let's begin reading Acts 11 verse 1. The Bible says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. And by the way, the Word of God is, what is that? That's Jesus, right? That's what Peter had preached in, in chapter 10. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, why? Saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend, as it had been a great shear, led down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air, 
And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my house. But the voice answered me, Again from heaven, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Thou, uh, call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel into his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Now he's referring to the day of Pentecost, the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. I want to preach this uh, morning on contention over the gospel. Contention over the gospel. As we come here to Acts chapter 11, we have the background of Acts chapter 10. And at the end of Acts chapter 10, we read a, a, a summary statement, Then prayed they him, that's Peter, to tarry certain days. Now, after Peter had preached Jesus Christ, and it was evident that uh, these people received the word, they had the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, but also the Holy Ghost came upon them and they began to speak with other tongues, just like you saw on the day of Pentecost. And so this experience here was quite miraculous. And, and so the people that were there, after they heard the preaching of Peter, they, they asked Peter to stay more. And, and by the way, that's the natural response of anybody who comes to Jesus Christ. They say, well, what else is there to know in God's Word? Right, the Gospel begins something that... Uh, gives a thirst and a hunger for more of God and more of His Word and, and to, for, for them to be taught. And apparently Peter stayed, they stayed there for a number of days before he went back to Jerusalem. Now, when he gets to Jerusalem in chapter 11, he is greeted not as he expected. As we saw here, so far, the gospel has been preached, was preached in Jerusalem by Peter on the day of Pentecost. And the people that were there listening to the message, although they were from different countries, were all Jew by ethnicity, but they came to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost that many Jews observed every year. And so the, the gospel has been preached by Jews who were Christians to Jews who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw that the gospel went throughout Judea and went uh, up to Samaria and Galilee. And so the gospel was began to be, pre to be preached and spread, uh, but it was primarily preached by Jews and received by Jews, the gospel of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 10, the gospel now is preached for the first time. I, I know uh, uh, certainly other people who were Gentiles heard it, but this is the first time you find a group of them gathered together and Peter preaches to them, Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting that we notice something about the gospel, that whether it was preached to the Jews or to the Gentiles, it's the same gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And uh, so in Acts chapter 11 here, we're going to see that what's going to come about is that the Gentile, that Peter 
had uh, spent time and preached and taught Gentile people. And that's where the, the contention is. In Jerusalem, they were Jews, but they were Christians, right? By ethnicity, they were Jews, but they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're, they hear this report, and they're not very pleased. And so there is contention over the gospel. And really about who is the gospel supposed to be preached to? And so we're going to, and we know, by the way, we know the answer to every creature. That was the command. But I want us to examine this passage and see if we can learn some things. And as we learn some things about what was going on in the first century church, what brought about this contention, I think we can learn some things as well. We want to be um, like the first century church in the good things, and we want to avoid being like them in the bad things. And this is one area there. Uh, and so let's see if we can learn some things here. What is happening in this passage would be the beginning point as a source of conflict throughout the churches uh, from this point on. And, and even uh, Paul addresses in a number of his epistles this, this idea of conflict between Jews and Gentiles, be, between those who are called the circumcision and those who are called the uncircumcision. That's another word for saying Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were circumcised, the Gentiles were not. And so we, we find this contention in Romans chapter 2. Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 4, in Galatians chapter 2, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul deals with those issues. Uh, and, but this is kind of the beginning of that forming. And the debate would really be uh, brought up to the church of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 because it, got, it would get to the point... There was two main churches, many other churches, but two main churches. There was the church at Jerusalem and the church of Antioch. And apparently there are some people from the church at Jerusalem who went up to the church at Antioch, which was primarily made up of Gentiles, and who was telling those Gentile people who were saved that they needed to be circumcised. And so in Acts chapter 15, they're going to settle that debate. Uh, but the point is, this is the start of that, this idea of between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, uh, it is true that in any church there's a, a bunch of different people with different backgrounds and different lifestyles and all those things that come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And there's, there's always a potential for contention in churches. Why? Because churches is made up of people. And so uh, let's consider first of all as we look at this text, we see the contention of the apostles and brethren. The Bible says in verse 1, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. Now, think about the wonderful thing about the Word of God, as I mentioned already, is that it tells us the truth about what happened. Uh, this contention in the life of the first century church would continue beyond this chapter. And as I mentioned, Paul would address this issue a number of times. And what really is the issue the issue boils down to really this one topic we find throughout the New Testament, and that is this, being a respecter of persons. When we read here, back in chapter 10, if you remember, after Peter had received the vision, and the men came from Caesarea to Joppa to meet him and to bring him to Caesarea, you remember what Peter said in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. This is what Peter said. Um, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Acts 10, 34, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. You see, he, he comes and he now he, he puts two and two together. He, he knows now why he had this vision. And now he's come to the house of Cornelius. And so this is what Paul perceives, that God is not a respecter of persons. Throughout the New Testament epistles, you find contention 
on different topics. For example, in James chapter 1, there's a contention between how people in the church received rich people and poor people. And so when somebody who had really the nice garments and the, the, the rings on their hands and they came in the church and the people, oh, oh come in here. Here's a seat on the front row. And, or here you can sit on the stage and listen to the pastor. And so you can have like this, this uh, uh, one direction uninterrupted by people. But someone came that were poor and you say, well, let's come in. and You be my footstool. So, so you're, you're treating rich people and poor people differently. And that was a source of contention that we find in the book of James. In Romans chapter 2, when Paul writes to the church at Rome, he said that some people who were Jews by ethnicity, uh, they, they, they had this idea because they had the law and they were a moral people compared to the Gentile world that they didn't need the gospel. And he says, you think that just because you're circumcised that you don't need the gospel and that's not true. And so he, he deals with that. In, in, in Romans chapter 14, he deals with that there was contention in the church with concerning meat. Some people refused to eat meat because they, they felt that it was offered to idols so they shouldn't eat it. Uh, you know, some Jews sometimes had dietary restrictions before the gospel and they felt that they needed to keep those dietary restrictions after they were saved. And, and although uh, uh, Paul said that there's nothing refused uh, if, if it's of God, uh, but he says that nonetheless you should not despise your brother whether he is a vegetarian or a meat eater. But that could be a source of contention. What I'm saying to us is throughout the, 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 the first century churches, there was the potential for contention. And as we read, there was contention in churches. Now in this contention here, there's a contention here between the apostles and the brethren and Peter as he comes back. I want us to notice several things that we learn about the contention. First of all, we see the dissemination of the gospel received. Now they hear word in verse 1, the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So that's the dissemination of the gospel that was received in Caesarea by a group of Gentiles. And so news apparently had traveled fast and of what had taken place in Caesarea in the house of Cornelius. And by the way, we stand back and say, that was wonderful news. Uh, people got saved. They trusted Christ. Uh, so the gospel was being preached to every creature as it was commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what happened was significant, right? The, the gospel that was first preached here to the group of Gentiles who received the Word of God, they not only received the Word of God, but they had been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and, and they had uh, uh, the Holy Spirit of God came upon them just like on the day of Pentecost, and those Gentiles that believed on Jesus Christ were then baptized, having already received the indwelling Holy Ghost, and then they wanted Peter to stay to teach more. Wonderful news, isn't it? There would be, however, both amazement and also shock would be the reaction of most of the people in Judea and the church of Jerusalem that heard the news. And so we see here the dissemination of the gospel that was received. Uh, this, this would be a shock to them. Uh, evidently, in the passage, it was unexpected. Now, it's hard for us to believe because we say, well, we know the command of Jesus Christ, but I think if we put ourselves in that culture and understand really the, the Jewish background and their mindset concerning themselves and the rest of the world, uh, I think we would have a, a better a grasp of what was going on here. But we see here that the information traveled fast, and the reason, you know, things travel fast when it's spicy information, right? 
When it's something that's out of the ordinary, it tends to travel fast. If it's something that's not as significant, it doesn't tend to travel as fast. And by the way, that's what often happens in churches. We not only notice the dissemination of the gospel received, but also their disdain for the Gentiles. If you notice in verse 2, the Bible says, When Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in uh, to men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. Now notice here, it's clear we see a disdain for the Gentiles. And I want you to notice there are three ways in which we see their disdain for the Gentiles. The first way we see that their disdain is seen in the immediacy of their response. Verse 2 tells us, When Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contend with him. So, think about it. Uh, we saw that he stayed, verse 48, chapter 10, he stayed there for a number of days. We don't know exactly the number of days. But he had taught the Gentiles there for a number of days. And while Peter stayed there, the word got out quickly. And so as soon as Peter got to Jerusalem, he was immediately confronted with what happened. Uh, needless to say, the reception was not friendly. And so the disdain of the apostles and the brethren in Judea is seen in really the immediacy of their response. They had to confront Peter as soon as he came back to Jerusalem. They had been preparing themselves, no doubt, for this confrontation. When is he coming back? Well, you know what? As soon as he's coming back, we're going to make sure to tell him what we think. And so really the disdain is seen in the immediacy of the response. As soon as he got back to Jerusalem, they had to address it. And by the way, that's a testimony of a reaction in the flesh. When there's a, an immediate response, as soon as something comes up, and as soon as somebody, you see that person come back, and then we have to deal with it, that's a, a testimony of their disdain. But we also see their disdain is seen in the intensity of their response. Notice verse 2, when Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Now, the word contended there is a strong word. It means this, to separate thoroughly. It means to withdraw or to oppose. Now remember, Peter was the one who had preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved. I think that the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, you could say, well, the apostle Peter is prominent there, but evidently they had a problem with what he did. They opposed him. They, they wanted to separate themselves from what Peter had done. They were not in agreement with what Peter had done. The word uh, here we see circumcision here tells us that these men were Jews according to the flesh, and they were evidently part of the church of Jerusalem. And so they, they say, well, we don't agree with what you've done. We're going to separate over this. We don't agree with what you've done. Now, it's interesting. This is so typical of human behavior. Let me give you the scenario. They were not there. They did not see what happened. They did not hear Peter's preaching. They had not witnessed the Holy Ghost coming upon the Gentiles. They had not seen the baptism of those Gentiles and their profession in Christ. They, had not, uh, they did not know how God had been working in the heart of Cornelius before Peter came there. Uh, they were not aware of the vision that Peter had. Uh, they did not see the wonderful providence of God uh, that at the moment that Peter had the vision, those men came to the house of, of, of Simon, uh, the, the tanner. And so they were not privy to all of those facts, but yet they're contending because they heard something. That's typical of human behavior. In other words, you see, they, the, the accusation is right off the bat. There, there's no, hey, what happened? You ate with Gentiles who are uncircumcised. 
You see, based upon what we read, we know they knew two things. Verse 1, they knew that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Verse 1. And then, verse 3, they knew that Peter ate with them. That's the only two things they know. The Gentiles received the word of God, and you ate with them. May the Lord help us never to ascribe evil intent upon people, especially when we don't know what happened. But the truth is, that's what's happening in the church. They heard something, they heard he ate with the Gentiles, and so they're building a case here against Peter, the apostle to the Jews, and uh, that's evidence of their disdain. So their disdain is seen in the immediacy of their response, in the intensity of their response, but also their disdain is seen in the intent of their response. It's interesting, verse 1, it tells us, they heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But you know, so that's what they heard, but when Peter comes, you know what they said to him? They're, they're not upset. They're not upset with, they don't say, well, they receive the word of God. They say, you ate with them. Do you, do you see the, there's a disconnect there. Uh, the accusation, so the disdain is seen in the intent of the response. They did not deal here with the real issue at hand. They heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God, and someone along the line had told them that Peter had evidently eaten with the Gentiles because he remained there for a certain amount of days, and I guarantee you he's not going to fast. He's going to eat in fellowship. And so they completely ignored the wonderful news that the Gentiles had received the word of God, and they confronted Peter about eating with the Gentiles. This again reveals the disdain they had toward the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 2, Paul writes and he says about the Jews who thought they didn't need the gospel. He said this, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, and a light of them that are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, uh, babes which has the form of knowledge and of a truth in the law. And so he tells those Jews, says, you, you, you think you know everything, you have it all together because you're a moral people, and you have the law of God, and the Gentiles are, are not privy to those things or have not been privy to those things. And so you just think you're better than them. And he tells them in, in Romans chapter 2 that uh, your circumcision does not veil anything. So the point is that that, that was uh, the spirit that was there. The disdain is seen in the intent of their response. They, they heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God and instead of rejoicing, they focused on the fact that he ate with them, which a Jew was not supposed to do. By the way, that's what Peter had said earlier. You remember in chapter 10, verse 28, And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is unlawful, is it an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation? But God has showed me that I should not call any, any man common or unclean. And so basically Peter had said, I, I, What I'm doing here is not lawful according to the law of the Jew, uh, but nonetheless I'm going to do it. And we know because God told him to do it. But the point here is that People have been saved and they're focused on the fact that he ate with them. You see, the contention of the apostles and brethren is re revealing of human nature. And so may the Lord help us to not be immediate in our response when we don't know everything. To not be so intense in our responses. 
and to think and to check on the intent of why we're doing what we're doing. Is it helpful? Is it productive? Is it something that, that is uh, legitimate? And I say to us that uh, the fact that uh, Peter ate and sat with them is a far lesser issue than him giving the gospel to them, which is what they should have rejoiced in. So we see here the, the contention of the apostles and the brethren, but then secondly, as we move in this passage, we see the case of the apostle Peter. And so here, as we begin reading in verse 4, but Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded by order unto them. I love how the Bible tells us exactly how Peter did it. He rehearsed the things, and you, you know when he started? At the beginning. And then he did so in order of how things happened. And, and so we see the case of the Apostle Peter. So basically Peter stands as a lawyer here, defends himself for what happened, and he's going to show them that what happened is of God. By the end, they're going to be silenced. But what I'm, I see, first of all, in the case of the Apostle Peter, is first of all, Peter refused, refused to fuel the contention. If you noted, when we read earlier... It is interesting that Peter did not address at one point the accusation of him eating with them. Remember, that's what they were upset about. You ate with them. He doesn't even answer that. So he refused to fuel the contention. You see, the criticism was a distraction of what had really happened in Caesarea. What had happened? God was at work. So Peter is not going to be involved in this eating with the Gentiles. That was insignificant. It didn't really matter. Let's talk about what God had done. And you know, that would be really helpful in any church, any life of the church. Sometimes we get focused on, you know, the color of the carpet and, oh, there's not enough envelopes in the pew and I didn't find a hymnal under my chair. We ought to be careful that we don't become concerned with things that are really unimportant when we have a, a wonderful job to do for our God. Amen. May the Lord help us with that. So we see the case of the Apostle Peter, first of all, his refusal to fuel the contention, but then we see Peter rehearsed in order the events. I want us to take through this passage, and I want us to think about how Peter built his case. First of all, he speaks of his disposition towards God. Notice in verse 5 he said, I was in the city of Joppa praying. When this begins to happen, unfolds, you know what Peter's doing? He's praying. Uh, what what uh, Peter did was not of the flesh. Uh, what Peter did here was, was his disposition. Toward, he was praying toward God. And then as he was praying toward God, we see not only the disposition toward God, but we see also the vision from God as he is praying. And by the way, that's always a good time when God speaks to us when we're praying. So may the Lord help us to pray in the first place so that he can speak to us. Now, I know there's no visions. I don't believe that there's visions like Peter saw today. Certainly, God speaks to us, but not by vision. We have the completed Word of God. We know exactly what God wants us to do. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. But here, this is a special vision because of what's happening in Acts. The gospel is going from the Jew to the Gentiles. And so this is, is significant. And so God intervenes because there's going to be, on a smaller scale, another Pentecost moment among the Gentiles. And so God is intervening there. And notice here, he, he speaks uh, to him in a vision, verse 5, a certain vessel descend 
as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came uh, even to uh, even to me, upon the which when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the earth. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. And I said, Not not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. Now, obviously, he's referring to the Jewish tradition of certain dietary restrictions, so I can't eat that meat. But the point is, Peter, we see in chapter 10, knew that the vision from God was that God is not a respecter of persons. That God wants the gospel to be preached to the Jew and to the Gentile. And so, here he says, this was my disposition, I was praying. I received a vision from God about eating meat that was considered uncommon or unclean. And that's what God told me to do. And then he talks about the providence of God. As he's receiving this vision, notice verse 5, he says, or um, verse 11, And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. So as soon as the vision was done, immediately these men, it just so happened. That's God's providence. That uh, Peter, is, when we read chapter 10, he doesn't know everything about the vision yet. But it just so happens that as soon as the vision ends, these three men come to the house. That's God's providence. And so Peter says, look, God is involved in that. I mean, I was praying. God gave me a vision. Didn't know what it meant, but it just so happened that at that time those three men came. And so that's the providence of God. God was involved in that. And then verse 12, we see the leading of the Spirit. Notice he says, and the Spirit bade me go with them. Nothing doubting. And so uh, Peter says, well, when, I, when I did what I did and went to Caesarea in the house of Cornelius, understand, the Spirit of God led me to go. It was not my decision. I was, notice the Spirit bade me go. I was commanded to go. Much like we see uh, Philip was sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit led him to do that. Then he Mentions at the end of verse 12, he says, Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. So here, uh, uh, Peter refers to the witness before God. He, he says, uh, this is not my testimony. Uh, here I have these six men with me. And remember, uh, Peter, when he left Joppa to go to Caesarea, he took those six men with him. They were Jewish Christians who had converted to Christ and they went with him. And so Peter uh, basically says, I have people who confirm everything that I'm telling you. Uh, these are witnesses. It's like, a, this is a pretty good, he's a pretty good lawyer, isn't he? Uh, we keep going and, and we notice here that then he, he talks about the work of God in, in verse 13. He says, and he showed us now at the house of Cornelius when they enter into the house. And he, that's Cornelius, showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And so here Peter talks about the work of God. In other words, Peter is telling them, said, God did something. He, he spoke to me as I was praying. He, it just so happened these men came, and, and, and uh, I was led of the Spirit to go there. And now that I've come, now I'm hearing now that, that God has been working and communicating to you before I came? That's amazing. God has been working. And you see, when Peter showed up, God had already been working. You know, when we follow God, God is already working. God is not limited to us. He works beyond us. And the wonderful thing often is when we are involved in the work of God, we, we get to be recipients of what God has already done in the lives of people. 
And so we see the working of God, and, and he just shares with them. He says, well, look, I, I'm, I'm telling you this, these things in order. I'm just telling you how it happened. Look, God was already at work. It wasn't me trying to make something happen. I just followed the Lord. And then we see in verse 15, he he says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. And so then he, he declares the evidence from God. Now he refers back to the day of Pentecost at the beginning when the Holy Ghost fell on them and they began to speak with tongues and there was flames of fire over their heads. And, and people that were observing the Feast of Pentecost from different countries were hearing the gospel, the wonderful works of God in their own language at the same time simultaneously. That's amazing. That's miraculous. There was not only a miracle uh, coming, proceeding out of their mouth, but there was a miracle also in the hearing. Because basically when someone was preaching in tongue, different men were hearing the same thing in their own language at the same time. That's a miracle from God. And so here he says... <laughs> Look, there's evidence from God from what happened. The Holy Ghost came down just like the day of Pentecost. So this is the testimony of God and, and we know it. And then he ends by saying this in verse 16. He says, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And so then you see what Peter does is he, he remembers the word of the Lord. He says, you know, that's exactly what Jesus Christ said would happen. And so it not only happened in Acts chapter 2, among the Jews gathered in the upper room, but it also happened in Acts chapter 10 among the Gentiles who were gathered in the house of Cornelius. And so he said that's a fulfillment of God's word. So you see here what he does he, as he builds the case. Peter rehearsed in order. He talks about his disposition toward God, his vision from God, the providence of God, the leading of the Spirit, the witness before God, the working of God, the evidence from God, and the word of the Lord. Wow. How can you build a case against that? Well, that's the point. They couldn't. And notice verse 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as He did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? You see, we see here that Peter, first of all, refused to fuel the contention. He rehearsed in order the events and then he rested on the basis of his action. He said, as God gave them, uh, verse um, 17, as God gave them the like gift. And so he says, what was I that I could withstand God? You see what Peter says, he says to these people, he says, I I'm, I'm not going to get in God's way. And so if God wants the gospel to go to the Gentiles and for them to have the Holy Ghost come upon them, there's one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to fight against God. You know, Peter, by the way, we're going to see later, Paul is going to withstand Peter to the face. Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about that. He confronted Peter about what? about the fact that he was sitting around the table eating with the Gentiles, and then when a Jew came along, he kind of separated, and then he acted like he did, wasn't sitting with the Gentiles. And so Paul is going to confront Peter about that later. So this is not something that Peter is going to get the victory over, and it's going to be done. What is it? Well, prejudice, appearance, and want people to think. And so he's going to make a decision based on that. And if we're not careful, we, we might get into that place. But what helps us is, is to ask ourselves this question, uh, is what I'm doing, is that fighting against God? 
Am I, the way I'm doing things, the way I'm responding, is that uh, in opposition to God? You see, uh, Peter could have said, even after the vision, he said, well, sorry, I can't go into the house of the Gentiles. I can't eat with you. Uh, and uh, well, I know the, 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 what the Spirit told me to do, but it, it just doesn't seem right, so I'm just not going to do it. No, he says, no, look, here's the evidence. I've listed to you eight things that is clearly from God. And so I'm, I'm just not going to oppose God. Great things, wonderful things happen in Acts chapter 10. What if Peter had gotten in the way? I wonder how many times we may get in the way of what God wants to do. So the Lord help, help, help us to be concerned with his work. And to examine the same way that Peter examined this record. I want to end with this. And that is the contentment after the contention. This is just the, the response after they hear all those things. Verse 18. And when they heard these things, they held their peace. So notice. And glorify God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And so, here's the contentment after the contention. First of all, the contention was stopped. Do you see, if you think about the overarching, do you see how the, how the contention was stopped? By focusing on God. Peter says, you're concerned about eating with Gentiles? Let's look at what God's doing over here. Do you, do you see it? Do you see it? So, the contention was stopped by what Peter said. You know, I, uh, the Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, sometimes if contention comes our way, the way we respond to the contention can either fuel the contention or just cause it to stop. And that's what Peter did. May the Lord give us a sermon to do the same. So the contention was stopped, and we see that the Lord was glorified. The Bible says that they held their peace and glorified God. And, and so you see, in all, you see what happens is, obviously the contention could have gone the wrong way. It could have been devastating in the early church. And yet, the result of, of the contention, based on the response of Peter, is that at the end, God was glorified. You know, may that be our focus. The end of all things is the glory of God. That's the end of all things. He is going to be glorified. He is going to rule and reign. Every tongue is going to confess to God that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the end of all things. And so here, uh, Peter encouraged them to refocus. And then it is evident that they, in some measure they refocus because the result of that was they glorify God. That what else are you going to do? It's evident God is at work. Let's not get in the way. You see, that question was kind of rhetorical when Peter said, uh, what was I uh, uh, that I could withstand God? So basically that question is posed to them. Are you going to withstand God? Are you going to stand against God? Or are you just going to be part of God's program? And there's one more thing we see. Not only the contention was stopped, the Lord was glorified, but also the truth was acknowledged. The Bible says, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. That's the truth. The truth is this, what Peter discovered in the first chapter, or chapter 10. I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons. God is not, but we all have tendency to be. I believe what we learned here in Acts chapter 11 is that the natural impulses of men is to be a respecter of persons. 
But Paul learns that in the work of God, there is neither Jew or Gentile, there's neither bond nor free. Doesn't matter what ethnicity you come from, what background you have, what you grow up in, whatever it is, we are all one in Christ. God is not a respecter of persons, and neither should we be. And so may the Lord help us to learn those things from what happened there in the early church as they learned themselves. Now we're going to deal later in Acts chapter 15 because there's going to be, it's not just going to be about the, who is the gospel be preached to, but then what should be added to the gospel. Should we tell these Gentiles then who are saved to be circumcised like the Jews are? And we're going to find that later the people from the church of Jerusalem went to the church of Antioch and told people, you need to do this. You have to do this. And so this is not over, but this is something we learn. And so may the Lord help us to, as we think about contention over the gospel, that, that the Lord would help us not to be respecter of persons and to focus on the glory of God and the work of God. There's so many things. You know what the devil does? He wants to sow discord among the brethren. Uh, by the way, that is one thing that God hates in uh, Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, there are six things that God hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto the Lord. And one of those things is, he that soweth discord among the brethren. So it's so easy to happen. But you know what happens is, God wants to do wonderful things. And somewhere along the line, God, the devil is going to try to, to kill this church. You know the devil, he wants to kill this church? He wants to wipe everybody out. He wants to uh, disassemble First Day Baptist Church. And so let's not allow him to do that by our interactions and our responses. And when we think about how we look at people, you know, and so maybe the Lord help us not to be a respecter of persons. You know, there are people with different backgrounds, dis- different spiritual maturity. You know, let's be, I have to be around, let's, let, let me be as patient with someone who's a young Christian, or someone even who's not saved yet, with how someone was patient with me before I was saved. And so, may the Lord help us give, that, give us that perspective.